Hey, everybody, just wanted to tell you about the SeatGeek app. It's the best way for fans to save money on sports and concert tickets, and it's a 100% free service. SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. When you're ready to buy your tickets, you can just snag a great deal right from your phone with just two taps on your app. There's really no better way to find tickets this summer. SeatGeek also has this technology called Deal Score. It calculates every ticket in the building is worth and whether the price you pay for that ticket is good deal or bad deal. Good deals are represented by big green dots on the map, and bad deals are shown as small red dots, so it's easy to see at a glance which tickets will save you the most money. No other ticketing app has features like this. To redeem your promo code and save $20 on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code HOLLYWOOD in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code HOLLYWOOD today. The SeatGeek app is your ticket to summer sports and concert tickets. And now, Hollywood Prospectus. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hold your applause. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Prospectus podcast. My name is Chris Ryan. I am a writer for Grantland.com, and on the other line, running boat tours of Valyria, it's Andy Greenwald! That's a lovely trip. Yeah. It's a lovely trip. It's scenic. It's scenic. It kind of reminded me of the Jurassic World trailer, except with fewer screaming kids. It's like Pirates of the Caribbean. The ride comes alive. <laughs> the ride comes alive and mystery awaits. Yeah. Lots to talk about. TV season keeps going. Don't touch. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't touch. You can look. You can look, but don't touch. Uh, we're going to talk don't about touch. Game of Thrones. Uh, and, of course, we're going to start off, I think, because we have the penultimate episode of Mad Men to get, get through. I kind of I'm in denial about this. I kind of don't believe that it's really all going to be over. Yeah, I, I I do you say are you saying that because you can't believe that was the penultimate episode? No, I can believe it. I mean, I, I <laughs> and I I am knocked out by it. Okay. So uh I'm in this weird let me kind of a little me time. Why don't we just talk a can little I, bit, man? Can I clear out the lane? <laughs> yeah. What's been going on with you? I'm fine. Um, I'm going to go stand in the corner and wait for you to kick it out. That's cool. Um, yeah, just park yourself. Look, right now, as you know, I have to watch Game of Thrones on Sunday nights, like most of America. I don't get them in advance. This so is good. We get to put ourselves in the mind of the critic. Yeah, just deep in the mental space. <laughs> I'm just saying that as soon as the episode ended last night, I immediately had to go write for a number of hours. And so I didn't watch this episode of Mad Men right away, and I avoided the internet like the plague due to spoilers. And so I watched it this morning, and I felt like an emotional Brinks truck hit me. Yeah. Like, this was... Such a powerful episode, and it was very, very moving. But, like, I'll say it again. We've been saying it every week. I am deeply moved by this entire half season. I think that we're seeing something pretty unprecedented in terms of television storytelling. I think we can talk about this episode. I mean, I feel like there are four different ways we could talk about this episode. Maybe we should do all four. You pick your spot. You tell me which one you want to begin with. But we could talk about it in the pantheon of penultimate episodes in terms of what they normally do. Yes. We could talk about it in terms of just the writing. We could talk about it in terms of where we think we're headed, and we could talk about it in terms of what actually happened with the characters that were involved. Why don't we do the? Why don't we do four first? Since I think that we can be. Let's get specific and then go general. Okay. So, and this is going to come up again when we talk about Game of Thrones in a little bit. But if you had told me that we would have a penultimate episode, or even just an episode of Mad Men, that was essentially about Betty, about the Francis family. Mm-hmm. And Pete, and marginally Don, but on one of his, you know, vision quests into Americana. Right. I, I probably wouldn't have, you know, 
gotten too excited. I wouldn't have put on my spikes. Like, I wouldn't have been like, this is going to be a big one. Right. You would have put, left the eye black at home. <laughs> I would have. <laughs> well, that's where I usually keep it, so just to be safe. But this was, once again, like, it, this was an example of taking things that have always been there, taking things that we didn't know we, that we wanted, and weaving them into this pretty majestic whole. So let's, should we start, let's, we can start with Betty. I mean, Betty has yeah, been a character let's start with who's Betty. been reviled been kind of a punching bag for a while by fans why is she still on the show what value does she bring to it and there are a couple years where i feel like it was possible to maybe read into some read into the way she was being treated that maybe weiner had a problem with either the character or the actress right fat suit betty fat suit betty i mean she was kind of that was a rough arc for any character Mm -hmm. to play and for any actress i thought that he gave her some moments of real dignity in this episode in a way that I would never have expected. The devil's advocate question there would be, in what case does someone who is about to embark on the second half of their life that seems to maybe be about to be lived for them rather than lived through other men or for her kids, and she's at this precipice and then she finds out she has, you know, advanced stage cancer, like in what way is that dignified? Dignified in the way that she she was allowed to describe her life as she had lived it, especially in the letter to Sally. Mm-hmm. You know, it's possible to think of her as a lo- another in a long line of, of prestige drama wives who are kind of buzzkills for holding back their husbands. Right. The, the Skylar White problem. The Skylar White problem. She was, you know, we wanted to see Don catting around Manhattan. We, we didn't want to see him going back to Ossining. Uh, we wanted him to get away with stuff. We wanted his lies to be protected. Um, then, you know, we saw her kind of not be the greatest mother necessarily, or the warmest mother, we'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, certainly to Sally. This final episode, you sort of realize, well, she 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 certainly did the best she could. And the way that she spoke to Sally and the way that she treated her, you know, the way that she greeted this news with this wild acceptance especially considering you know there's a character there's some history built into the character that she was totally undone by watching her mother die she was put out by her father dying yeah you know she was very very inconsiderate and selfish about another generation passing um i thought it was i thought it was really striking that 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 was given to her i mean the other thing to think about in terms of this episode was that it was very much in the spirit of like a douglas cirque melodrama which is something that that Mad Men has always played with, right? I mean, yeah, the, the, I, the and, woman and finally has, stepping out and the Pete romance, like all, a lot of that was intentionally, I don't want to say hackneyed, it was intentionally familiar. I think that this is going to be an episode that makes a lot more sense if you go back and watch these, how many is it, seven or eight episodes? That uh, this, 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 this run? Yeah. Seven. If you go back and watch these seven together, I think a lot of these episodes are going to feel more of a part uh, if if you ever decide to go back and watch them as interlocking chapters of something, yeah. Uh, on its own, I thought it was pretty jarring. Now I I've been grappling with and trying to and trying to like kind of understand my own feelings about this idea of sticking the landing and this idea about what penultimate episodes sort of segue to what another one of your topics was. I mean, this idea that what what a show owes you and what mm-hmm. it needs to do. And I'm trying to get away from that kind of consumerist idea of, like, you owe me something. I have paid you with my time. Uh, Thank you for doing that. I think that I never really understood Betty. And I I think I'm okay with just admitting that. Like, I don't really – I don't – and I think I, too, shared your suspicion that Betty was – if if 
all these other characters were given such incredibly um incredible highlights even joan you know what i mean people who had had hard lives yeah but they still had these like peaks and and betty was never really given that betty was like kind of failure after failure after failure in some way or See, another but i think that that's the wrong way to look at it but I i'm think not saying i blame from, him for, i mean there are people no no whose but, lives I, are but, like I, that. but i think that with this episode did was sort of recast everything that we had seen if you think about it she was accomplished smart and very young and she married this guy who was ostensibly on the rise yes everything that he was was a lie and the foundation that they based their family on was false. And he was cheating on her constantly. And she got out. And she didn't just get out like, you know, I'm going to make a run for the hills with my family. She found a more stable partner sure. who, for all of his faults, seemed to really love her. And she raised the family. And then she was moving on to the next phase of her life and was, you know, I, I don't. I don't know the character biography by heart, but she's probably our age, like the way we, the age we are now when this yeah. is all befalling her. And I thought a lot when I was watching this episode about something, about something you said last week about this show, which was such a, a I think, a really wise observation about that, that jarring feeling when you suddenly realize that maybe you aren't the main character in your own life. Yeah. That the narrative that you were writing for yourself has been wrested out of your control. And that, and Weiner, Matt Weiner directed this episode, and I thought he had a really incredible shot when the doctor was talking to Henry. But the and, shot, uh, she, the camera's on Betty. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it was also an, an intense echo of, in the very first season, do you remember when Betty goes to a shrink and the shrink calls Don to report back yes. everything she said? So as far as we've come, the doctor still won't tell her news. He's still talking only to the man. Um, I think, you know what it is, is that th- this episode, it, it, what was some, something, something, milk and honey, what was it called? The milk and honey route? Yeah, route? and route? this is, you found, you had three main characters who all, uh, in some in some way or another, sort of wound up in heaven. Don in a kind of, in this golden wheat field, like you see in Gladiator. Pete <laughs> finding, like, love and happiness on a Learjet to Wichita. And Betty ascending that staircase in the university, you know what I mean? The, the sort yeah. of, like, this library of heaven or whatever it is. And um, it's just tough because one of those characters finds their heaven or their release through literal death. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I. I and you I, know what? I this think... is this is the thing is that I'm not about. I'm not being. I'm not saying anything where it's just like Matthew Weiner was unfair to Betty. Like I, I right. he is he's gone past the point where I'm going to be like, you're really being unfair to this character. I mean, this was what he decided, it, it, and it, and it's interesting too because in a lot of ways, I never really, the the people who <laughs> probably were going to get cancer. You th- you would think are the guys who were drinking and smoking all day long, you know? And even well, though she Betty was smoking was, all day long, sure, but like it seems crazy that she's the one who winds up with cancer. Well, she just got it first. Yeah. I have to think that like I have to think that if the Grim Reaper is playing chess in Sweden or whatever, like I feel like he's got a couple more names. Yeah, on his I'm list sure you're right. Out of sure our characters, right. but it also she was used. I mean, this is one of the things that the show does really well. It was it was telling the Betty story, but it was also using her the way a great drama uses characters to advance other aspects of its overall thesis and one of them is the sort of refutation of the great man theory or mm-hmm. great history and one of the greatest lines on the show uh, i mean of this episode in an amazing moment um of which there were many last night i think was when henry being you know very typical sort of uh type a male response to 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 tragedy or to to, to grim news immediately jumps past the emotional part and goes straight into action, even if it's futile action. Yeah, and he says, right. like, you know, what, what would the... Nelson Rockefeller do if this happened to him? And she said he would die. Yeah. 
and, and and that is just that is just a masterpiece of setup and writing you know because that's that's what happens to everyone whether you are nelson rockefeller or you are the guy standing behind nelson rockefeller like henry or if you are that guy's wife yeah and, and this and if the, in a season of vanishings you know it's interesting to look at pete no longer being an account executive, but someone who works for a company where people fly on the planes of that company who might at some point become clients for another advertising agency. Yes. Sort of like the middle of the middleman. And, yes. and Don vanishing into a cornfield and Betty vanishing into a classroom. You know, well, well, these people sort of like letting go of their own stories, basically. Yes. I mean, let's... One thing I did want to say that was kind of interesting, if you remember, Pete Campbell's father died on a plane crash. Oh, did so he? It was sort of interesting, yeah, in the first During or the, season. In, in the first, okay. Yeah, and both his parents died in bizarre uh, travel accidents off screen. Yeah. His mother went overboard on a cruise ship, and his father was on a plane like American Airlines Flight 001. Like, it was early on in the series. <laughs> Um, I don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> you just you've always found uh, airline numerology uh, <laughs> entertaining. Um, but yeah, that was really really interesting to me. I mean, the I, let, let me before, okay. Let, so let me say this: the people who yeah. I watched this show with did not like it. Seriously? Yes, I was with several people who were just like that was not a very good episode of Mad Men. I, I some people who were like I am choosing to, if I may quote this person, delete that episode from my memory banks. That's yeah. crazy to me. This, yeah. this was an emotional gut punch. I was I I, I was I, I I was hoping Ryan, our producer, would leave the box of Kleenex out here because I am getting a little weepy thinking about this episode again. There were moments. Okay, let's talk about the other character st- stuff too. But there were there were two things that I just want to call out because otherwise I'm going to forget to say. Sure. That I think, again, this is something that this show can do that I feel like other shows either they can't do it or they don't take the time to do it or it's just not in the show's DNA to pay attention to it. But there were two moments of, I don't know if it was writing or if it was performance, directing, or or all three. But the moment when, when Henry shows up at school to tell Sally the news. Mm-hmm. And again... This is an incredible thing because it's a callback to what one of the show's main planks has been, which is adults acting like children in front of children. Okay. You know, he thought he was being heroic, but he was actually just using her as a crutch and she had to comfort him, you know, in the worst possible way. Right. Um, When he tells her the news, she covered her ears, you know, which is just such an incredible choice. And that was one of the things that just slayed me because it was so childlike and so primal that I just don't want to hear this, even though I've heard it. On the other end of the spectrum... Duck Phillips. By the way, shouts to Mark Moses getting a little uh, <laughs> little last walk around the track. Just, just, just right. The last man out of the the the, dipl- the embassy in in Pakistan. <laughs> Seriously, I had to go to the Apple Store the other week because my phone didn't work as a phone. Yeah. And while I was there, the entire place suddenly erupted into applause, and I thought that maybe like the Steve Jobs hologram had been projected in there or something. <laughs> but in fact, it was just some dude named Ken's last day at the Genius Bar, and everyone at the like the Apple Store on the Upper West Side when it's Ken's last day, Ken! they all just they all just clap for him. Yeah. He like took a laugh. And then the, it continued upstairs. That's what Mark Moses got to do. Okay, so his last moment in when he comes to Pete in the hotel room, and Pete's like, and he's like, you know, these streaks don't last. And Pete's like, get the hell out of here. And yeah. he starts to close the door. Mark Moses does what every drunk human in a strange hotel after doesn't midnight know whether do. to make it left or right. <laughs> he turned the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. I laughed out loud, but like that's not something most shows in the busyness of yeah. production are like. Guess what? That's what a drunk person would <laughs> Who's do. Who's gonna win the World Series? <laughs> it was great. Um, okay, the Pete stuff, if I may. I, can't, I feel like I'm trying to talk you into this now. But 
in that there was a line and I tweeted this earlier but there was a line in the Pete and Trudy stuff that I thought was just a knockout because I think the show one of the great things about Mad Men is that it rejects abbreviation you can't just be like here's the log line of the show you can't just say here's what it was about and mm-hmm. then be done but Trudy says to Pete uh, I'm jealous of people who can who can be sentimental about the past yes and I feel like that runs through the entire series because Don and Peggy, remember what Don says to Peggy after she gives birth in the very first season? He's basically like, this never happened. You keep moving. Mm-hmm. We are now seeing a man who is what is it? Literally... You'll be, what, is, what does he say to, yeah, you'll be, you'll be amazed how quickly you... You will, you will forget this. Yeah. Or you will move on from this. And we're seeing him literally strip everything away. I mean, yeah. he's, he's including a, a very nice Cadillac that's recently had some work done. Yeah. Um, I also, I really liked the, that that dude, I, Andy, got the, his name was Andy, right? I mean, I'm not going to forget a fact like that. That guy that he gets the whip, he probably has like one gas tank worth of cash in his pocket. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He, <laughs> he's like, I'm getting he, as far as, and you know, those cars didn't get good ma- mileage. No mileage. So he's like, I'm going to Topeka. It's like, it great. is going to be the greatest 21 mile joyride in Oklahoma history. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's going to, basically, Don's going to wait an hour for the bus, get on the bus. And then when the bus stops in Topeka, Andy's going to get on and be like, it was fun, man. I had a good run. Yeah. Um, but this idea that has run through the series, Don is a man without a past, and obviously was trying to hide from it in this episode. Um, but as he learned, a lot of people keep burning down their own houses. It's not, in, it's not unique to him. And not just that, there really were no good times. And if there were, no one remembered them. Yeah. Or no one remembered them correctly. You know, I, I think that in a way, you're, you're adding credence to what the show is doing when you remember Betty's life as kind of like mostly failure. Because that's kind of a way to look back on it. And, and, and she was now remembering it. From with the fullness of whatever time she has left, as well, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Which, in a way, makes her a little bit more advanced than everyone else. So, well, it's just a, it's about whether or not you have the agency to make that decision for yourself. Like, it's like you, everybody does, but whether or not you decide, I've decided that my life was valuable, you know, and or or I've decided that my life has value, with or without or, McCann, with or without money, with or without right. a husband or, I, or children or whatever, you know. Or I spent time, I figured it out, and then I devoted what time I had to those things, yeah, and. So I, I think the Pete thing was really interesting because there's a way of looking at that whole storyline from last night when he shows up at four in the morning and basically starts speaking like like a mix of, of, of Romeo and Nora Ephron. Like every line he had was rom-com perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and Trudy's hair is just disheveled just so and she's so happy and they love each other and everything's suddenly working out. And you can look at that a little – you can look that you look at you can look at that with some side eye. Absolutely. But you could also, I think the show built into this, the skepticism is built in because of everything we've seen. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also built in this idea that, well, maybe why not? Maybe he did figure it out. And, and the one criticism that I, I won't allow, and I don't think you're going to give me this, but I, I know you're not going to give me this, was I think someone, I don't even know who, my wife mentioned this to me that she had read a recap that said this. Well, you know, we all know how that's going to turn out because Pete in a few months is going to do blah, blah, blah. Your wife was actually reading a her. recap of LA Law, though. <laughs> that's the problem that's true she is she's been a Burnson head from way back you know um she got me a Roger Dorn jersey for my uh my birthday last year anyway uh and someone wrote that you know well we of course we shouldn't trust any of that lovey-dovey stuff because Pete is Pete and he's going to do these terrible things mm-hmm. but here's here's my big response to that Pete's not a real character there is no future for Pete like, there is no six months from now. There is no ten years from right. now. Right. In, unless the show suddenly does what I don't expect and does a six feet under style ending. That's it. And so it's much more important, I think, to treat what we saw as what matters. And what we saw was a guy maybe figuring it out 
and investing and trying. And mm-hmm. I think that is the message. It's not – it's hard to – since we love these characters so much, and you and I fall into it sometimes about wanting things or wishing for things. But I think it's important to remember that this is the text. There's yeah, no other I mean, I think Pete's episode. a very cynical person who had a, like what he says – when he, what he says to Trudy is definitely – the case, and I, I'm totally comfortable with with knowing that Pete's probably going to be cheating on Trudy nine months into living in Wichita, where they take the first Learjet back to Manhattan because they don't want to live in Kansas or whatever. But, uh, you know, I, I I definitely accept that's a cynical man having an uncynical experience. Yeah, and and maybe maybe it'll work out for the best. So I, I mean, you, you just don't know. Let's talk quickly about Don to pivot towards the next week, and then I actually, you know, we can we can keep keep it moving. Um, very obviously, this is his his odyssey, the Donacy, you know, the Donacy. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he conquered the last sort of the sirens or whatever it is that he's got in in this in this weird town that he was in. Uh, Ulysses goes home. You know what I mean? Like that's that's probably we've got the reason why he would return. Um, yes, we don't and- know why whether it will jump ahead past. Betty's life or not, but you know, like it, 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 and there was that important conversation, drunken conversation, where they say in the war, all you you do whatever you need to do to get home, yeah. including apparently cannibalism, <laughs> uh, which was a weird detour that I feel like they kind of didn't didn't spend too much time with. Yeah. But um, you do whatever you can to get home, and that's what you know, that's certainly what the Pete plotline was about. What do you too, think the uh, the kangaroo court there was between uh, the twelve angry men to decide that Don was the one who stole the money? Like, what was that conversation like between yeah, the hours like, of 2 a.m. and 5 a.m.? Yeah, like, it must be the new guy, like, who's been spending money to take it back. Yeah, I don't really see what his long game was yeah. in their mind. Um, it didn't really hold together. I, I, I thought, and I'm sure we were meant to think this, too, that, that the reason they burst into his room is because they were angry that he lit his commanding officer on That's fire. That's what I thought was going to happen, was that, like, you, we, we made you feel like it was a joke or, or an okay thing to do, but that's my cousin, you know? And, and, the, and remember, the show opened... It's hard to. It's easy to overlook this, but the show opened with a rare dream sequence where mm-hmm. he was found out. He was he, the police finally caught up to him. And this entire drive felt like a dream sequence. Yes, and I think that. But I think that's. I like that. He's just sort of giving everything away slowly in there America. There are parts I of mean, life that feel like dream sequences. Yes. If 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 you open that Sears bag he's carrying, will the golden light from Pulp Fiction shine out? Seriously, like it's a little heavy, but. I, I like the idea. I do like that there was something left here. You know, I think that we when we started talking about this final season before the first half of it, or before last season, whatever you want to call it. And I think one of the things we, we, we got hung up on, I certainly did in what I was writing, was what stories are there left to tell other than, I guess, all the stories? Because mm-hmm. it turns out there really was something left here. There really was an ability for them to strip everything to the bone in a really fascinating way. I mean, they, the agency is gone. The connections between most of these people are gone. Many characters are now gone, and Don has pretty much nothing left. He's now, I mean, he's been doing this for seven or eight years, but he told that story in public. That was his most deeply buried shame. He told At the Hershey's pitch meeting, he told about where he grew up, mm-hmm. and then at this drunken VA uh, fundraiser, he he told the the last shame. So what else is there for him? Yeah. And I guess going going home. Well, and, and then the, he has released someone else from repeating the mistakes that he made. So it's in a, in a you know it's like he has yes. done a sort of penance, and now he's he's free. I well, mean, like this has been a, a series. This it's, this series has been a series of acts that were supposed to free Don, and I think now he finally is. Um, it's I, Molly that, that mentioned what's... today that she like. 
that you know it'd be funny not funny but it would be interesting if he came back or like somebody mentioned today that that it would be funny if he came back and he was like uh, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Like I figured, I figured that one out while I was on the road. Yeah, and like, seriously, you know, I mean, not not as funny as Pete's dad dying in season two, but <laughs> but <laughs> but that would be that would be amazing because the other I was going to ask you, there are two, there are infinite number of possibilities for next week, and I love that there was nothing that that he finally was just like, dear AMC, I am not giving you anything right. to preview for next week, in, because but although I will miss those weird koans more than almost anything. Uh, don't put um, it past AMC to have Kim Dickens like kick down an office room door and be like, I heard there were zombies in here. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> fear is coming. Yeah. Uh, I mean the two the two because there are two obvious possibilities means that neither will be completely true. But sure. one definitely would be that comes back and there's some sort of new version that is like like a rebooted Don Draper that's better at being a businessman. The other alternative is now he's coming home to claim his family, right. his actual family that he made, that he's essentially like maybe he'll just from. take Sally to Madrid, you know? Yeah. But I mean, and let's be honest, like she's the winner out of that crop of kids, yeah. right? I mean, the other two have had Gene plenty of time to establish like, themselves. Yeah. They're not, they're fine. They're basic. They're basically Francis's now anyway. But, uh, but yeah, I mean that is. I mean, you think to the first season when he got drunk in the garage and ran, you know, and just disappeared and came back with a dog. I mean, he has been running away from everything, including his family, from the beginning. I'll say so this. the thought of him coming back is worthwhile. Watching last night, you know, it had some of the same feeling that, uh, you know, some of those. Remember those? We've always joked about like these earlier episodes where Don's driving and you're just really worried that he's not. Yes, yes. Every I time to he drives, that. yeah, that you're worried that he's just going to like flip the flip the car by accident. Um, Mad Men still, to do its second to last episode, retains the ability to make you feel like anything is possible and um, anything can happen. And the weird thing with Mad Men is that usually it doesn't. Anything can happen, but usually it doesn't. That is the most lifelike thing yeah. that Mad Men does. Is that, that's the what, feeling we, we in life to... that anything could happen and the most... It's it's the reverse of Occam's Razor. It's like it's no, like but it's not nothing happens. It's not just that. It's that when you're on the plane that has turbulence, and you're like, well, clearly, sorry to bring this up again to the Campbell family. I have no idea if dead. I just use Occam's Razor right or wrong. By the way, but I think you were good. I think that was close. Um, and you're immediately like, well, this is where I'm, uh, let me you know. You know what? I'll use I statements like I was taught in college. I immediately think, oh, well, this is it. Yeah, it's over. Yeah, but yeah. in fact, the dr- you're being dramatic in a way that is very flattering to yourself. Sure, because you're, like, you're still the hero. You're the hero. Th- that's right. The alternative. Why which would is, any like? Why would you think that in your car, your car is going to flip over? It's your wife. Right. You know what I mean? Not your wife. It's like the wife. The wife is the one who winds up with the cancer. You know what I mean? Like that. That's right. Like the in a way, the the thought that you're going to have to endure twenty minutes of uncomfortable turbulence and then still have to give the presentation you're going to give at the end of that flight or do your work or whatever, like that's somehow more intolerable than dreaming up a dramatic scenario. Yes. And that's what the, I mean, we talked about the movie Force Majeure. That was what that movie was about too. That feeling of dread that isn't quite dread. It's real life is scarier than the big cataclysm. That's what the Matrix and is about, man. That's what, that's what most movies are about if you watch <laughs> them right. Um, I, we should move to Thrones, but I did want to mention, because I, I can't imagine we're going to get to it next week. These, these sort of gauzy actors roundtable things that AMC oh, yeah. is showing before the show. First of all, everyone looks great. I'm super into Ham's beard, cardigan, and colorful shirt yeah. combination. But that was some pretty thin gruel that the editors had to chop up because, first of all, all of them look like they're in, like, proof-of-life videos. And second, it cuts from, like, from Christina Hendricks being like, you know, it was an amazing experience to be with people who I deeply cared about and respected, and we had an amazing time. And it cuts to Slattery, who looks like he just saw Paul Pierce, like, defeat his team on a buzzer beater. He's just like, 
Yeah, he's and, like and the I, Pal Gasol vine, like. Yeah, and then the John Hamm quote where he's just like, you know, I, I was great going to work every day knowing I'd be working with, and it like pans everyone, and Kartheiser's like, and Moss is like, and he's like, yeah. and, and, and Hamm is basically like, people who were good. <laughs> it's like, you couldn't just recut that? Yeah. You couldn't have him say exceptional? I'm not saying they don't like each other. I'm saying that they are not, they did not want to get back together. And that, that, that too table. is also building into a promo of Fear the Walking Dead. <laughs> It probably is. Where like Cliff Curtis kicks in the door like the Kool Aid Man, racks a shotgun. It's like, who here in this room wants to survive? Yeah. Uh, should we move to Thrones? Yeah, because this is another. I've, I've seen th- this was an episode of Thrones that was difficult to watch. I think last night was a tough watch. Like, like last night was a tough shift. Interesting. Um, anything when any anytime Theon and Ramsay get a majority of screen time. Like See, I, I felt- love you opened up your recap with Jorah and and and, and Tyrion, and that was mind blowing and amazing. And even in the uh, previously on Game of Thrones segment, it it really showed just how much they're how smart they're using HBO's money, and they're doing yes. these cutaway shots to show you like look at this big world. Like we haven't been outside in Mad Men, and I can't remember how long. You know, I, I really outside like in New York or in. You know, like somewhere yeah. in the city where you feel like that's where this building is in relation to where he lives. And yeah. I know we saw the yeah. cornfield and we saw that stuff, but the way you like Brienne is here and the castle is over there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just get this sense of perspective and situation within the world. It's so great. But yeah, of all the places to choose, I understand that they're going to be important probably. And like, I understand I need to know all this. Uh, and I understand in some ways just like, this is where evil comes from. You're getting this, this, this viewpoint of that. But that was just like a long, tough watch. I'm fascinated by that. I, I really loved it. I found it to- a total pleasure to watch last night. And this is with the added, you know, disadvantage of having to take notes and having that awful like Sunday night homework feeling that I was going to have to start writing immediately after. I did want to just pull back for one second, just a little, little live journaling about this experience for me. I think you'll appreciate this. So this is, you know, the first episode of the year that I've had to watch live on the actual television, not Here's like on a screener. World's smallest violin playing. <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm not complaining about that. I want to tell you what happened. So I'm watching Game of Thrones and yeah. taking notes. And my, my wife is with me, like, with her computer open. Maybe I don't know, maybe doing a little cyber shopping. I don't know, just browsing. You sure she's stuff. not watching L.A. Law? <laughs> I think she might have been going, like, L.A. Law, like, I deep Reddit. I can marry! <laughs> she's like, she, was, she was Googling what the A in A. Martinez stands for, you know, just for, like, like second-generation L.A. Law cast members. Um, so, I know, so at some point, I think Daenerys' first appearance last night, looking regal, flowing white robes. Yeah. A lot going on, though, for her. Tough time. Sir Barrison's body. My wife says, looks up and says, oh, so what's up with her? <laughs> Which is the worst thing to ever ask someone about Game of Thrones. Yeah. Even a recapper. Yeah. <laughs> like this, I just, I just told her stop. Did you just, just say stop. not much? Because that's true. I, <laughs> I think what I said literally was, I can't. I just can't. I just can't. I can't with this. So, okay, so here's why I was really impressed. And I, I, I guess I'm not surprised by your reaction because I feel like that would have been, like we said about Mad Men, if you had said this was an episode without Cersei, without Arya, without Bronn and Jaime... Um, I would have been like, this is pretty thin gruel. This mm-hmm. is a this is a get from A to B episode, of which we had a lot in the previous seasons. But I was I was blown away by this episode because, like the ones that preceded it, it felt like like a, a rich TV experience for me. 
I felt like what we saw last night had been foregrounded enough to make it valuable and feel essential. And the way it was performed and, and written made it enjoyable. Um, we can start with, like you said, I mean, the big ticket, and that's obviously why they ended the hour with it. The big ticket was was uh, a Jorah and Tyrion slow boat. And I was just, I, my, my jaw dropped during that. And And what I wanted to say, and I forgot to say in the recap because it was one in the morning, was... I, f- I wonder if the experience I had, and maybe you had as well, watching those scenes, was a taste of what people who read and love the books have experienced, which is to say that they've done enough in the last few weeks and maybe a little bit last year, foregrounding what Valyria was, foregrounding what Grayscale is and what it does, that when I finally realized this boat is going into this place yeah. that we'd only heard about, I was like, I'm going to get to see this. And I felt kind of giddy. And yeah. I am not a giddy Game of Thrones watcher. I'm, you know, I enjoy it. It's fun. And I love talking about it. But this was one of the first times that I was like, whoa. And that, I wonder, I mean, I'll talk to Jason about it when we do Watch the Thrones on Wednesday. But I wonder if that was a taste of that. I, I think you're right. I th- that's a really good point. I, this, this, is a, this, was an epi- this has been a season, I'd say, that has been absent of some of the playful or uncomfortable sadism of Game of Thrones in seasons past. You know what I mean? Yes. Dwarf assassinations aside, <laughs> um, yeah. but not the kind of Ramsey or Joffrey school of sadism, right? Yeah. So to have Ramsey back and have that guy mugging and, you know, his teeth are almost like shaved in like fangs, you know, like he's definitely like um, chewing up a lot of scenery. That was a little disappointing. But what you're saying is absolutely right. Although I will say, uh, if you don't want to get grayscale, don't scream, don't touch anything. Like, you know, yeah. like, it's like, That was okay. kind of asking for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also feel like Jorah was way too casual for a guy that knew what was in there. But here's what the coolest thing about the whole Valyria scene was to me, is it really brought home the fact that the stars of this season are the Targaryens. And not even Daenerys. Like, the family. Like, they are... They, and, and what's really dope is how history in this show is now as important as the past. Everything that we're seeing has been put in place hundreds of years ago, 50 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. And it's all of these people, they just cannot escape this history. Yes, and I think that that was the biggest challenge for Benioff and Weiss, because basically they had to tell the story of the present day, whatever, I mean, the present day in the books. But the reason the books are thousands and thousands of pages is because they take in the totality of the world and the realm and everything that came before. And you can't, in the first year, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know anyone who could have done it better, but there were these long data dumps mm-hmm. of like, well, that happened and this happened and that's why we're here. And that's who that is. I think they've gotten so much more confident in their storytelling that that's they've been exactly able right. to weave, they've been able to weave this in in a way that felt natural. So that when we got to Valyria, we've heard that word, we've seen the swords, we understand a little bit that, you know, that they ruled the world, they rode dragons, and then a, then a volcano destroyed everything. Right. And now there's just a smoking crater full of you know, monsters, basically, yeah. sick monsters, uh, to get there. And, yeah, and just the, the sort of the rot at the heart of it. And and then the visual part, instead of just being, you know, spending HBO's money wisely, I found it really poetic that we were seeing the inevitable decline of all ambitious civilizations. Yeah, and a lesser network and lesser storytellers would have, like, already had a spinoff going for two or three seasons that was, like, Game of Thrones, colon, Mad Kings, you know? Or yeah. It would have just... And we would have had... All this stuff, and instead it gets – this stuff gets talked about the way we talk about history. And that's, I know, insane to see, like, you know, like – it's not the same thing, obviously. But it, it, it's still interesting to watch two guys like Jorah and Tyrion, these people who are, you know, have been agents of, of these various families for a long yes. time, 
talking about you know reading each other a poem, basically reciting a poem reading, to each other. Yeah, the, the Westerosi version of Ozymandias, you mm-hmm. know, like like this is what happens to greatness or great ambition, and. You know, it reminded me that Tyrion, and I think again, like you didn't, I, I wasn't in a position to appreciate it because this was a lot in the first and second season before we got bogged down in King's Landing. But Tyrion initially was kind of our eyes to the wider world. You remember he he goes to Winterfell with the with his sister and the, with his family in the beginning, in the very first episode. But then he continues with Jon Snow to the Wall because he wants to see it. Yeah, because that's who he is. He wants to hear, see the legends of the world. And you remember that scene. You remember that when he like saw the Moon Door and he was in that prison in the first season yeah and now he's seeing this and there was this dinklage played it so well he basically it, it was like being told atlantis is real and by the way you're mm-hmm. going there right now and, i would and love it, was, it if on this show one one character was able to complete one journey seamlessly like can we get triple a <laughs> for these guys it's like do you need a trip dick map a little highlighter route to, <laughs> it's just like, roadside hey, how is uh how is how is traffic getting here it's just like you know it's pretty good calm seas got this guy here for you <laughs> And it's like great. We're so glad to have you back. Like, can, can you imagine what the what the uh, Seven Kingdoms version of Waze would be? Where it's like six drivers have reported stone men dropping from cliffs. I know. I know. Are they there? And that was like really yes, stupid on the part of Jorah, though. He was just like, I got to make this slight detour through this house of plague and destruction. And I'm not going to suggest putting on gloves or literally yeah. anything that yeah. might make it work. What, what, Tyrion had a good point about untying him or not untying him. Like w- Jorah's a knight. Tyrion yeah. has the DTs. He's only interested a... in getting some some Zinfandel. That's really his only goal. <laughs> yeah. He is shaking like a late period James Crumley protagonist at the bottom of a like a toy boat. He's not a threat, and maybe he could help. Um, here, here's the here's the other thing I liked about the episode was that it it dug deep with the characters on both ends of the episode, the characters who we are invested in to be. I don't know if we are invested in them to be good guys, heroes, or just to be smart. Mm-hmm. And Team the North suddenly just seems to have its act together. I mean, the, the, the Jon Snow plan to make peace with Tormund and the, the Free Folk is purely logical. Yeah. It's very reasonable, and it's, of course, infuriating to a lot of people, but it makes a lot of sense. Stannis continues his rehabilitation as a pretty decent guy. He gives him boats. He, goes, he rides down to Winterfell. I mean, that seems to make a lot of sense. And he goes and he talks to Sam Tarly, and it's just like, keep reading those books, Four Eyes. Yeah, I may need right. you. Yeah. Let's just talk about that they are talking about the White Walkers yeah. again after many, many yeah, yeah. years of not. And so that's there. Um, we have the Daenerys situation going on. And that left room, I think, this was just well carved out in my mind because it left room in the middle for this just ridiculous backstabbing bitch fest at Winterfell. Yeah. I mean, I liked that it was ridiculous. I mean, did you s- – I feel like like peak era Bjork would look at what Sansa is wearing and be like, no, yeah. no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, like, you literally have feathers. She dropped that during Vespertine, yeah. I just, I just need an edit here. <laughs> like, this is Bjork wearing a swan on her otherwise naked body and being like, it's a little too much, yeah. Sansa. It does seem – it's like something like when, when – homogenic or post came out like some a yeah. somewhere was like yeah. get me somebody like that <laughs> yeah. yes yeah. That, and it's i i like that it was almost intentionally over the top i mean she had a dinner where everyone involved had murdered someone in her family yeah and i thought the show had enough swagger and enough confidence in the rest of the episode to let it be a little silly yeah the ramsey stuff is a little silly and you know it, this happens with a lot of the character actors on the show. Michael McElhatton, Mike, Michael Hatton. I'm not. I should never have tried to say that out loud. But the dude who plays Roos. Roos, great meet cute with Ramsey's mother. Great, just that is just a charming story right <laughs> yeah. there. That yeah. is definitely that's like Nancy Myers. 
Yeah, and, it, some... and your father was hanging from my – her husband was hanging from a tree. It's, it's got like something's got to go and that, that yeah, is right. your first husband's life. Yeah. Um, there was a couple other things. I mean the Targaryen stuff, you mentioned it. Like we, we've been trying to, to steer our conversation away from theories we may or may not have been exposed to by the internet. I feel like most people have heard about some of these by now. We will not spoil it, but there was a real like lingering heavy camera shot that is either playing with this theory with the fans or more likely just slowly confirming it yeah. for watchers, which is, again, I'm fine with. Mm-hmm. I, 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 we, we'll come, up to some agree- come to some agreement whether it's okay to start talking about it openly because if you had not been spoiled about this theory in the comments of uh, Recap on Grantland.com, <laughs> as some of us may or may not have been, you would be asking these questions sure. right now. One would be. They're very evident. But that only helps, you know? Yeah. I, I I'm getting looser and looser about this stuff. I mean, like, I don't want to know about character deaths, but I'm, you know, if 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 I come across like th- th- some idea, I, I mean, also like it's you, you just gotta let go sometime. How do you feel, just in general, about what this episode had to say about pet ownership in the Seven Kingdoms? Because I feel I don't like, feel like Miranda takes her job seriously. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. If you proudly say you're the kennel master's daughter, then you have to show some pride. In yeah, this. Like, I mean, seriously. I've seen Petco's, you know, on the uh, like in 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 deep Brooklyn yeah. that are run with more on care on Admiral Wilson Boulevard, yeah, and hygiene, than than at Puppy Mills, basically, than the kennel that she's running up there in Winterfell. And you know, dogs are important there. Like sure. we, that's been established in the show. It's part of the backbone of the show that a, that a, the right dog, the right like man biting dog, can really get you out of some yeah. scrapes. So that was weird. I definitely thought that was weird. Um, and then going across the ocean, Daenerys is basically like dangling juicy food in front of her dragons and I being know. like, you can just have this one. And that one was not the most satisfying So that was Drogon or flying over Valyria, right? I, unless there's another dragon we don't know about, this, that dude is just circling his house being like, I want to go home. Okay. I want, I, want, I want this to be a place again. Um, well, what else do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about upfronts at all or – yeah, it's a weird week. I mean, I th- I'm going to write about it this week, but it's. I wanted to say this. So this week in, in New York um, is the broadcast networks have upfronts, and that's basically when they announce their schedules for the fall, or in this case, generally for the whole year. The new shows they've ordered, uh, and they put on a big razzle-dazzle show mainly for advertisers. It's become news for, for sites like ours as well, but it's when they put on their best face, being like, Yes, most of these shows will get canceled in six months, but for but for today and today only, like, Larence Tate and Michael Raymond James are welcome on this red carpet yeah, you know, right. before their shows inevitably get axed. Um, and it is so depressing and dispiriting this year. And it's pretty interesting because I, I, here's the big reason why. And what I mean disp- depressing and dispiriting is that I'm looking over the shows that have been picked up by all four of the broadcast networks, and I don't think there's a single one that looks – it's not just that they don't look promising. Nothing looks interesting. Like, the Rob Lowe comedy, The Grinder, might be funny. I thought he was that's, in a show about, like, the end of the world. No? No, that's literally everyone else. Okay. Like, like Fox's big entry into sitcoms is uh, John Stamos as a grandfather and Rob Lowe as a failed TV actor. Okay. And the, and Together on the same show? This. No, uh, in an hour block on Tuesday nights. Can you imagine um, a show called The Grandfather and the Failed TV Actor? What if it was called The Grandfather Grinder, and it was just about a guy discovering the world of online dating on, his, on the phone that his grandson gives him? Sure. Um, like, those, the ceiling for those is really low, and it's interesting how slow 
here's the thing I want to say. It's interesting to watch how slow and entrenched and ultimately non-productive this broadcast model still is. Like we say this every year that the pilot season where they, you know, they commission a hundred things, they make a dozen things, and then they cancel six of them or whatever. That doesn't work. But we're seeing how not nimble they are basically. Because for all of its flaws, last year in broadcast was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Empire is the biggest thing in a very long time. But because the cycle is so hidebound, next year's pilot season will, will be the be one Empires. influenced by Empire. Yeah. The only way that the success of Empire and Blackish and How to Get Away with Murder and Fresh Off the Boat filtered into this year is that the networks were like, we'll just cast more non-white people, which mm-hmm. is a good thing, but they're not necessarily casting people in projects that are worthy of their time or talents. So we have nothing. We have just endless retreads. Like ABC's marquee show, and ABC, same company as, as Grantland, uh, the Walt Disney Company, is a reboot of The Muppets. Now, you know, I interviewed Big Bird. <laughs> Big Muppet guy over here. But when you are saying, like, Is we're it Big back, Bird baby. and Sesame Street? Yeah, but it's all, they're all Muppets. It's, it's all the Jim Henson Wait. family tree. They're all, they're all, like, but they don't live in the same world, right? Well, they're, they're puppets. But were there ever, like, so... crossover episodes? Yeah. I mean, some characters have appeared on both. I and mean, Big Bird is in the Muppet movie. What? Maybe you don't remember that. Kermit would be on Sesame Street sometimes. I didn't, I didn't know that. This, like, blew your mind. This is, like, the time when Homicide and Law and Order had that That's what I was about to say. Is this, is this when Belzer suddenly started appearing on other shows as John Munch? I actually never uh, really watched uh, The Muppets or Sesame Street that much. What was your childhood like? <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to get it? Let's get into it. Yeah. What, what were you watching? Uh, the Phillies, I guess. Well, that, that was a pretty good, like, 83, that was a good year. I yeah, guess. right? I, I, can't, um, I mean, I just, or, or real, I, I don't have, like, a deep childhood affection for them. I do, and it just seems sort of like like people are praising Fox for its for the 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 new slate of shows it's putting out because you can sell it not like on a poster, but you can sell it in an advertising brochure because its big shows are it's John Stamos, it's Rob Lowe, it's bringing back the X Files, it's um, it's a show based Grandfather's on Minority on Report. Yeah. <laughs> and, my, and Minority Report. Yeah. So it's basically like, well, you know what this is. Yeah. And a shrug. And like today, NBC made their big presentation, and Bob Greenblatt was just smiling with, well, Neil Patrick Harris and Dolly Parton sang. And it's like, it's interesting the degree to which they are not even trying anymore. Right. They're not even trying anymore. And Empire should have shown them that they could. I, they got the money. They, they, they just have did, to spend it right. <laughs> did you see the trailer for Heartbreakers? NBC's new medical drama starring Rosie from the Slap. Yeah, Melissa, Melissa George. George she, is she, what kind of accent is she doing? Varying. You watch the trailer. Her accent <laughs> goes up and down like like an EKG of a heart patient. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like it, you watch that show and you're like, well, this is the the worst possible watered down version of six other shows. Yeah. And 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 they went through this process and they're like, okay, it just feels like a shrug. Heartbreakers. It's heartbreakers, man. <laughs> Um, all right, man. I feel like we were good. We might have something a little bit later in the week forgot for people, uh, Mad Men related. But we'll have we Watch Thrones have. on Wednesday. Uh, yep. Watch Thrones. You can also subscribe to on iTunes. And otherwise, I'll see you next week. Great job, Bransky. You too. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.